In this episode, I sat down with a woman in leadership, Kate Chada, who is director, co-director of the UX practice at Worldwide Technology, leading UX design user research on the team. The team has over 50 plus user experience designers, researchers, uh, front end engineer. It's a mix between all of them. But one thing that you can really focus on about this team is it's a team of a large, diverse group. If you can think of it, it's there on the team. And really looking at the impact of that, especially since there's research that shows that organizations who have more diverse teams and diverse management perform 35% better uh, financially, just period. There's an article currently on podcast.designplusdiversity.com where we talked about the impact of diversity in design. You should check that out. But I want you to listen to the talk that Kate Chada and I had. I'm sure you would find some very useful points in really trying to diversify your team, but also the importance of being empathetic and just loving the team and that intimacy and how that can lead to trust. Take a listen. Welcome to Unconference, a design plus diversity podcast about diversity, design, and the marriage in between, where we will chat about design plus diversity and all the things related. Whether you are a designer or a design hobbyist in many of its adjacent or subfields, we're here to break down all of the details and solve the hard problems with you. I'm Tim Hikes. I would like to introduce you to Kate Chada. Kate Chada is the co-director of the user experience practice at Worldwide Technology. The team has over 50 individuals on the team. We're talking about user experience designers, user experience researchers, and front-end engineers who all work simultaneously to create frictionless software. Kate is such a beautiful individual with such a magnetic personality, and she just brings this light in the room wherever she goes. And I really want to sit down and just ask you, Kate, how did you get here? How did you get to the point where in your career, where you are the director of the UX practice at Worldwide Technology? Well, I'm actually surprised I'm in corporate America. Back in 1986, when I graduated from high school, I thought I wanted to be a Supreme Court justice. Uh, and then when I finished my undergraduate degree in 1991 at the University of Wisconsin, I was either going to become uh, an international diplomat or a professor. And I decided on the latter. I really wanted to study theory and philosophy. And I went to this very strange uh, unheard of graduate school in New York City called the New School for Social Research, which was founded by um, intellectuals that were fleeing fascism in Europe in the 1930s. So it was founded by philo philosophers like Hannah Arendt, who was in Germany. And I really wanted to study uh, in the footsteps of some of the people I admired so much from the field of political philosophy and theory and social theory. So I was going to be a professor and I was finishing, I'd finished my uh, master's and doctoral coursework. And then the reality of 
of what I was going to do when I finished started to settle in. And I recognized a couple of things. First of all, I didn't know if I wanted to spend my life like a vagabond every three years going to a new university town and trying to get tenure in a world in which the, the job, um, the, the, the tenure positions in universities were being reduced. I also recognized that I, uh, needed a lot of money to remain living in New York. So I, uh, started working and I worked for this, um, management consulting firm named Mitchell Madison Group for one of the founding partners. And my unusual perspective on the world uh, and my unusual way of looking at problems in the world, which I later learned was human factors, uh, was something that was valuable to them and to their customers who were automating their workforces. It was a time, if you think about it, the first graphical user interface browser, the the first web browser emerged in the mid 90s. And a lot of companies didn't embrace that technology for years, but they wanted to modernize their workforce. So what I did is I took everything I learned about how human beings think, and what makes us uh, care for one another and what makes us work together. And I pivoted my career. And so I moved into a field called human factors, which is all studying about How do we design and build things for humans and apply it to how they were implementing and automating people's jobs, which was a big change for folks. And I did that um, until uh, 2001. I actually moved with that company to Minneapolis, St. Paul. They had a a new office there that they wanted to uh, take their existing uh, user uh, interface design team and bring human factors to their user interface design Um, consulting group. And so I went there to help build that out. And I did that for about a year. And then I met this incredible former director of human factors at Honeywell, a man named Dr. Robert A. North. And he had just left Medtronic, the medical device company, and he was starting his own consulting firm. And I think we met at some sort of human factors meetup in Minneapolis. And We started talking and it was another one of those serendipitous situations where he's like, you have a really unique perspective on human factors. It's not the normal kind of perspective and you bring a lot of interesting points. And so we built his company up uh, from the ground. It's called Human Centered Strategies. And we built a reputation around working with the Food and Drug Administration and medical device manufacturers and healthcare workers and patients on how to design medical devices that are safe in the hands of the end users, because um, it's probably not as well known now that it, that it was then, or maybe it wasn't well known then, but a lot of medical device design is really focused on making the doctors happy and doing what they need done. But the doctors aren't the ones that are programming the devices. It's nurses and medical technicians. And sometimes it's parents of sick children or spouses of sick family members in their homes. And the F- the Food and Drug Administration realized they needed to make it safe, safe and effective. So I did that for uh, three years. And then I was well into technology at that point. You know, d- medical devices are very technical. And I started to learn a lot about technology. And I uh, got offered a job at MasterCard, which is a financial technology company, 
because they realized that payments weren't always going to be made with cash or paper checks or even little pieces of plastic with your name on them, but that they were going to be moving into everyday devices. This was in 2004, 2005. And I uh, actually took that job. And for 13 years, I uh, built up the human factors, research and design uh, capabilities of MasterCard's product research group and worked on products that became parts of Apple Pay and Google Pay, traveled all around the world and watched people do everyday tasks like flying on planes and paying for taxi cabs and paying for dinner and buying their groceries and realized that human beings um, and largely everyday purchasing tasks in most households are done by women. The everyday, the the, the weekly grocery, grocery shopping, the um, takeout for dinner. A lot of women are the ones doing that. And they are also balancing childcare at the same time and transporting uh, school-aged children to after-school events. And I realized that what we needed to do was simplify the experience so that it was frictionless, so that they didn't have to think about how they were paying or where their payment card was. It would just be somewhere on them that would be easy to use. And therefore... Eventually, you get things like Apple Pay and Google Pay. So that is how I got into technology. And then I was lucky enough, and I do see this as the most fortunate thing in my life, to see this opportunity at Worldwide Technology that was looking for somebody to help kind of build up the human factors and usability expertise of their user experience team. And it is a it is a decision to, to move that I will never regret because this company has made me a better person, a better leader because of its focus on kindness and honesty and humility and trust and vulnerability. And I've become a better person in my personal life and my work life because of it. And so now I'm leading this incredible team of people like you. Oh, Kate. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really did enjoy that story. And it's really incredible to think how you were able to transition into design with your unique perspective on design thinking and the way that you think. And that unique perspective allowed a opening that was somewhat fitting for the person that you are and your ideas and the way that you think. On that journey, what were some challenges that you faced mm -hmm. in becoming or getting you to this point where you are now as the director of UX and design, mm -hmm. co-director UX and design at Worldwide Technology? <laughs> oh, that is so sweet. Um, so first of all, I, I'm one of eight children. My parents, uh, I'm, I'm the fourth of eight children and my, my mother and father, uh, are not wealthy. Mm -hmm. My father worked for the state of Wisconsin as a as a, an accountant. Mm. My mom was obviously a stay at home mother because with eight children, there was really no possibility for her to get a job um, outside the home and find a babysitter for all of us. And we were we were a handful. I will say that. Um, so I think the first thing is um, I have always had to pretty much. Uh, fend for myself uh, in the things I wanted. My parents were incredibly supportive and my mother, especially my mother from the time I was little, she um, 
was adamant that we would all get an education so we would have opportunities in front of us. She had six daughters and two sons and Mm. all six of us went to the university of Wisconsin and got our undergraduate degrees there. And um, I will say this, that she is somebody who felt that she did not get a lot of opportunities as a woman growing up in the thirties, forties and fifties to get um, an education beyond high school. And she felt it limited her possibilities for exploring the things that she was passionate about, like architecture and structural engineering. And so she just really wanted all of her kids, regardless of, of what generation she was raising at the time. She wanted us to value um, independence, uh, independence that, that, you know, higher education brings because that was not something that was really available to her. So I think the first thing is, you know, it, it was a lot of, um, I think we, all of us who, you know, took out student loans to go to undergraduate and grad school understand there's a lot of compromise you make. And there's a lot of time that it takes to pay those things off, the student loans. And so I think that one of the biggest challenges is kind of getting out of undergraduate, getting out of graduate with just that massive student debt that we all have and feeling frightened, feeling frightened that you had you had to do certain things or you had to kind of conform to certain expectations of of what the business world expected of you. But what I've learned is that actually it's the risks that you take. It's the the untrodden path. Um, And sometimes it doesn't always work out, but when it does, it is phenomenal what you can do. And so I will say that as a woman um, in the corporate world, there have always been times when I've had to really think about what do I have to do differently? And I've just kind of stopped doing that. You know, I've stopped trying to conform to some idea of what it means to be a woman or feminine and just be a professional and be somebody who is, um, who is not trying to conform to a male standard of professionalism, but actually leaning into the things that make me strong, which is compassion, which is building community, which is raising people up. Um, And I don't know if that makes a lot of sense. I don't know if that is as coherent as I'd like it to be, but I think that there is something about leaning in to the things that are socially constructed as feminine or defined as feminine as the true strength in leadership is it's not about the decisions or being the one who's the decider. It's about saying this person has a good idea. Let's raise them up and let them take the idea forward and kind of watching them grow. My mother has this saying, she's like, you know, it's important that you let birds fly, that you, you, you don't, mother them, you let them spread their wings and you let them try. And it's only that way that they will fly. And so she was a big inspiration to me. Um, plus the woman can learn anything. That woman has taught her. everything. <laughs> so um, I'm trying to kind of bring this back to something that's coherent. Uh, I think it's um, the biggest struggle has been kind of the patriarchy. Yeah. There's a there's there's definitely too few women in leadership positions even today. There's too few black women in, in positions of leadership, too few Latina women in positions of leadership, too few black men. And I feel like that is the thing that holds us back is we're not given that opportunity at the 
middle management levels to really spread our wings and show what we can do. So when it comes time to promote people to kind of higher levels of leadership, um, there's just not an equal playing ground. And so I've spent my career trying to figure out why and how can I, how can I find a company that rewards, you know, our diversity and, and us being ourselves and authentic, which I think worldwide does a very good job of allowing us to be our authentic selves and also a company that seems to be finding leaders at all levels that are diverse. And uh, I'm hoping to create the next generation of leaders like you who will take my place one day and, and take this team to the next generation. Because, you know, as Willy Wonka said at the end of uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, I can't do this forever. You talk to us about how you see yourself and how you're not trying to fit into a mode, but you're definitely creating an example for our team members. Have you thought about your impact as being a woman in a leadership position and the impact that it has on our team, especially maybe emphasis to the other women that are on our team? I ask that because there is some impact in your counterpart, Chike, as co-director, of the department and how I view myself within the organization. I do feel as if one day I could also be director over the team just because there is someone else in that position that looks like me. So I'm able to easily identify with that. So have you thought about your impact as being a woman in leadership Mm -hmm. and other women looking up to you? So I hope I, I hope, I hope I'm inspiring not just the women who identify as the women or men on our team who identify as female as a female role model. But let's think let's think about the things that we typically. So as as a social scientist, we know gender is is largely socially constructed. What the tropes, you know, the character, what I would hope that I'm inspiring in, in everybody in our team, regardless of how they identify from a gender perspective is that when you love another person, truly love and care about them, and you say to them, hey, I love you. I miss you. I I love you. I want you to be happy. I hope that what everybody's seeing is that you can be vulnerable like that. And by by opening up and telling people that you love them, it's reminding them that that is how we, we create high-functioning teams, that if you know that that I love you, and I know you love me, then even when I make mistakes, I know that you are going to understand that, well, that is that is not probably what she intended. So let me talk to her and tell her how that made me feel because I know she loves me. So I would hope that I'm, I would hope that the one thing that everybody in our team takes away that a leader is somebody who loves the people who work for them so much that they want them to go beyond what they've been able to do. And I would hope that regardless of whether um, it's a a man or a woman or somebody who identifies with that, that they say, I can be loving and be a leader. In fact, servant leadership is about saying, I love you. What do you need? I love you. What is the coolest thing you did today? I love you. What is making you sad? Because those are the things that make people feel like they're not alone. And when we feel like we're together, we can do so much. 
but beyond that, yeah, I, I hope you and I hope uh, your uh, female counterparts in the team, I hope that they feel like they can be their authentic, loving selves every day and bring the love that they give to their kin and kith into work and share that love with their clients who often don't work in places where they feel a lot of love. So I'm hoping that it's it's spreading love in the world. And I have to, again, give a lot of credit to Shirley Peterson, my mother, who was one of those moms who no matter how surly you were at 13 and how much your parents didn't understand you, when we came home, she gave all of us a hug and told us she loved us and asked us about our day and looked at our faces. And if she knew we were sad, she wouldn't stop asking until we told her what was wrong. And so... That is a woman who probably could have done things well beyond what I've been able to do. Um, but she is a big influence to me. It's such a joy to hear you thinking out loud and how you frame things, because I really do enjoy the team and the organization that I'm working for currently. And I really do believe that we can do great things. And it's because of that trust that you talked about. And also, Kate, and I love you too, Kate. Oh, I love you and I miss you. And I... It's not the same being on the screen, but it's better than nothing. I want to get your thoughts on this question. We have a little time left, and I would love to see what your answer is. How can design represent a larger population of underrepresented people? Oh, my gosh. So technology is not new. I mean, computers have been around for a long time. Technology in the workplace. I think the biggest thing is... um, First of all, design for all, inclusive design, is the part of accessibility that nobody talks about. Like we talk about accessibility and absolutely we cannot discriminate against people who have different abilities. But we also can't use our software to tone police. We can't use our software to try to control people's um, authentic selves. We we need to make sure that we are designing technology that people feel empowers them and meets them where they're at and helps them become empowered to do more, do better, whatever that means for that person. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity with new technologies around artificial intelligence, around Internet of Things and mobile edge computing, where we can use, uh, we can help people harness that for the things they need to get done. I don't know that we need a whole lot more shopping apps out there, although shopping is a lot of fun and we all have to do it. And in the pandemic, uh, online is what we have. But I'm thinking about ways for people to create, for people to connect. What I would love to see is I would love to see more thought around how are we connecting as communities? How are we connecting and creating and sharing? And how are we maintaining relationships? And I think if any of anybody's listening has felt this way, me looking at Tim Hikes as a flat image on my screen is not nearly as rich and joyful as me sitting next to Tim every day in the office, the three-dimensional Tim, and getting to feel his happiness and hear him sing songs, break out in song, because it's what I do too. Um, but there has to be something that we can do to create community because I think um, that is the one thing that children today are feeling a lack of connection. I think it's 
connecting us to people around the world who think differently than we do to open us up to um, the richness of culture and the richness of ideas and the richness of invention. And I, I would really love to see um, technology, think about including everyone, people who don't have a fast internet connection because they live in a rural area because they love living in a rural area, but they shouldn't be denied the ability to, to be able to connect with Tim who's on a fast internet connection and they shouldn't be denied an education when all they have is virtual school. I think that there's uh, so much opportunity when it comes to thinking about what is it that you know will empower young people who are looking for role models to see the, the diversity of opportunity out there, even if it's not in their own community. Uh, and I'm thinking about my small rural community in Wisconsin, which is very limited and not the most diverse, but if you could open up the world to them, the kind of experience you get, you know, going to someplace like New York City or Chicago or, you know, New Orleans or Berlin or <laughs> Prague, and you just see the richness of the world or going to Singapore or going to Lagos and seeing the people and the way they live their lives. If there was a way for us to bring that to everybody, well, then maybe we could build bridges faster. And that's kind of my thought there is I think the inclusivity part of accessibility and inclusive design often gets not as much press as accessibility and designing for people with disabilities. If we could bring that to people and allow them to experience that, we could build bridges. Well, Kate, we're definitely out of time now. And I really want to thank you for all of the things that you shared today. Kate, thank you so much for joining us today. It was such a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Tim. Delightful. Love you. And that is it for Unconference. Please subscribe to Unconference wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss a single moment. And give us a five-star rating and review. You can also give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram at Unconference Podcast. You can also follow me individually on Instagram and Twitter at Timothy Hikes. And then you can follow the conference at designplusdiversity.com. That's designplusplusdiversity.com. 